It's a great privilege to be able to greet you in the name of Jesus this morning, our Savior, the one that we have chosen to serve and worship because he's worthy. This morning we want to look to John 15, near the first part of it, the analogy of the vine. Uh, I uh, have through the years been very impressed with this teaching as very fundamental for our effectiveness as followers of Jesus Christ. And I have for a, a message title, Except Ye Abide, comes out of uh, <clears throat> verse 5, <clears throat> I think it is. So, uh, We'll be reading the first 11 verses here, John 15. I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away, and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. You no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth. As a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them in the fire, that they may they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, and I ha- as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And so we want to look at the context here, first of all, a little bit of this passage. Uh, we have... Uh, Maybe I'll go into this just a little bit as it ties together with what we're studying already this morning. Uh, The promise of the Father, we have there in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus told them to to tarry or to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise of my Father. And that promise, uh, give me very much in a nutshell here, goes back to the time of Abraham, that God came to Abraham and gave him the promise and that promise had three phases, and the first phase was that Abraham was to, to have a son. And we know that he failed in that he listened to Sarah and that he took Hagar and uh, tried to, through natural methods, tried to fulfill the promise of the father. God needed a little bit of help here, so we've got to do something. So, and then God came along later and made it clear that, no, it was... Uh, through Sarah, that uh, it's pro- that it had to do with believing in something that went far beyond the logical human reasoning. He had to believe that though Sarah was 90 years old and she was, uh, humanly speaking, incapable of having children, 
But because she believed the promise, and we have that in Hebrews 11, she was able to conceive. She had to believe that. It also says that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in believing. And because he believed, then it became to happen. So that was phase one of the promise. And the second phase was that his, his offspring, the, 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 the nation that was come out of Isaac, was to inherit the land of, of promise, the land of Canaan. And that we have coming directly into what is the context of Hebrews chapter 3, where uh, in Numbers 13 you read there where God specifically tells Moses to go send out the spies to look at the land which I give to you. And where the, the 600,000 men that more or less that were of, uh, of fighting age, of 20 and over, maybe you can say, the 600,000 men that were to believe this promise that God had given. And again, as the spies went out and the report came back, humanly speaking, it did not look possible. So they had to believe God beyond what was humanly uh, possible for them to do. And and that like I said, only only two. Well, Moses, I think, believed the promise, but but uh, Caleb and and Joshua were the two that believed the promise that this land was God was going to give it to them because they believed they inherited the land. Two people out of six hundred thousand. Oh, there's some staggering uh, statistics there of of the amount of unbelief, and that was the, the day of provocation that we have. That's recorded there in uh, in Hebrews chapter three, and that you know there was a lot of sin before that, but that was when God in His wrath swore; He had sworn to them He's going to give. He had sworn to to Abraham; He had sworn to Isaac; He had sworn to Jacob; He's going to give them that land. But because they failed to believe, they were not able to inherit the promise. And then we. We look at the third phase of, of the promises given to Abraham in his seed, which is Christ, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And if we look at the whole picture of, of the promise of the Father, it had to do with Jesus himself receiving the anointing and his baptism, and then uh, the, the actual promise being fulfilled in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And, and that the the apostles had, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit and, and the tremendous supernatural power that was enveloped around that, that belief is what was necessary for the birth of the church. Okay? There was tremendous supernatural things going on that you have uh, 5,000 people, you have 4,000 people coming to the Lord at, at one time there in the beginning of the church age. And it was, they were to tarry, they were to wait until they'd be endued with power from on high. And so that is uh, the third phase of the promise. And that's the phase that is for us. And, and we look at, at the tremendous power, the tremendous supernatural power that was, was involved in, in the birth of the church and in going out and preaching the gospel and how they were endued with power from on high 
and how different the outcome would have been if they would not have believed the promise. And so what does that have to do with abiding? Okay, we have in, in John chapter 14, starting at uh, somewhere on the middle there, where, where Jesus gets directly into, this is the last night that he had with his disciples before his crucifixion. And it's, it's a time of, of transition where Jesus is leaving and he's coming uh, and sending in his place, he's sending the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, the first part, he says, in my own words, he says, it is expedient or it's better for me that I leave and that I send the Holy Spirit. That they were going to have something they did not yet have at that point that would uh, enable them to carry out the work that God had for them. And so, uh, as I was saying in John 14, uh, I'm going to say from about verse 10 on, Jesus is breaking into the subject of what to expect of the coming of the promise of the Father, coming of the Holy Spirit what they should expect, what, what they were going to have that was essential for them to be able to, uh, to effectively carry out the, the work of the church. And that, in my mind, hasn't changed. And, and when we think of, of, uh, of unbelief, and, and it was mentioned in the Sunday school class this morning about uh, Jesus said, when he comes again, will he find faith on the earth? That in, in Luke 18. And we say, well, there's a lot of people that believe today. But when we, we think of faith in that context of, of the power that the early church had and the, the powerful anointing that was upon their lives, is, is it possible that in this day we're living in right now that that type of faith maybe it does not uh, is not very prevalent anymore. And where do I stand in this? And again, you might be asking, what does that have to do with with John 15? Well, we have in John 14 specifically talking about the coming of of the Holy Spirit, and in John 16 again. And right sandwiched in the middle, we have the teaching of the vine. And I'd like to propose to you this morning that it's all one and the same subject, that abiding this, this abiding in the vine, this, this, the branches that are receiving their, uh, the divine uh, sap or whatever is needed for, for life to flow uh, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we have God the Father, he's up there in glory, and we have Jesus at his right hand. And so whatever, whatever takes place here on earth, on earth is because the infilling presence of the Holy Spirit. So we have the Spirit of Christ, the abiding in Christ is abiding in the Holy Spirit and the outworking that, that flows forth from us. And I'd also mention a, a promise we have when Jesus was there the last day of the feast in, in John 7 when he got up and said that, that uh, if we believe on him, then rivers of living water be flowing forth from us. And do you, do I this morning have rivers of living water? And he went on to say that that was specifically about coming of the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified. And so this abiding has to do with the, the, his indwelling presence. And, and 
We already understand this morning that a key, two keys I want to give you, first of all, is the word abide, and the second of, is bearing fruit, and that, that's the focus this morning. If we abide, then we will bear fruit, and if we're not abiding, then, then fruit will not be a part of our lives. And so uh, that's uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning. <clears throat> and uh, the word abide here in the, in the text appears 11 times, and in the context it appears 16 times. And it's not always translated abide in the King James. And I'd like to maybe just bring mention to that before we get into to further into the lesson. If we... We go look at John 14 and verse 10. It says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. So the Greek word there is meno, if I'm saying that right, and that's translated dwelleth. So what what Jesus did on this earth, he did, he makes it clear here in, in, in John 14 that he did because it was the Father that was abiding, the Father that was dwelling. And that word abide, okay, so I might show up at your house for lunch and, and I'm planning to be there and maybe uh, eat lunch and, and it's expected that within a couple hours, I'm going to be on my way again. That, that's not the idea of the word here. The idea is I show up your house and, and uh, I unpack my bags and I say, well, I'm here to stay. That this, this is where I'm going to be. This is where, where I'm going to live from here on out. This is my dwelling place. That's the concept of the word abide. It, it's not something that you, you show up and you're soon gone. It's, it's the place that you, you set up permanent residence. So the Father, in, in verse 10, where Jesus said, The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. It's the Father had permanent residence in, in the life of Jesus. And, and whatever flowed forth from him was because of that. And here again, I don't believe that it was the Father necessarily, and this could be technical, but it was the Father that was working through him in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. Because what Jesus had then, he's expecting for us to have now, and we have access to the same things he had. And my life definitely doesn't, in its fullness, portray that, but I know I have available what Christ had as he lived here on this earth. To, to be able to carry out the work that God has for me in the same way that the work was carried out in the life of Christ. So moving on down, uh, now more specifically, talking about the Holy Spirit in verse 16. It says, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Where we have the word abide. That's that same word. That the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to ask it of the Father, and he's going to come. And that first was fulfilled in the day of Pentecost, and from there on out was available for the believers. And he shall abide with you forever. He's going to set up housekeeping. And he's going to stay there. And that's what we need this morning, to this abiding. And in verse 17, Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. 
but ye know him, for he dwelleth, or he abideth in you, and he shall be in you. There's the work of the Holy Spirit as, as Jesus is, is teaching. He's preparing the disciples for his departure and, and sending the Holy Spirit to, to carry on in a very real way what needed to take place from there. Now in verse 25, we're in John 14, verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. That's that same word, yet. While I'm yet here abiding with you, I'm speaking these things so you can understand. And then, of course, we have it uh, going on. I want to just highlight the word abide here again into the text I already read. Verse 4, we have it up three times. Abide in me, and I in you, except the branch... As the branch cannot bear fruit in itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. We have the word abide three times. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them in into the fire to be burned. In verse 7, If ye abide in me, my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And in verse 9, The Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, or abide ye in my love. That's that same word that's translated, continue. And verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So this 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 staying this this permanent thing that is is a reality in our life. And in verse eleven, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain or might abide in you. A permanent joy that in verse sixteen he puts it this way that no man taketh away. That that's a what we can expect, that's a promise we have, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, that there is a joy that is is just here to stay, and, and nothing can take it away. That, that We believe it, and it needs to be a reality. So this morning we ask ourselves if we have unbelief or if we believe what the Scripture teaches. So then we have it come up one more time, very precious verse in, in John 15 and verse 16. I'd like to read that. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That word remain is that same word that your fruit should abide or should stay. That whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So like I said, in this in this context we have the word abide 16 times and so that that's the focus this morning we we need to abide and that there's a couple of things i want to make mention first of all is that uh with with jesus here he is portraying himself as a branch and what is coming forth from that branch in a spiritual sense is is a source of spiritual life that's exclusively from Jesus. Maybe I can reword that and say that we have 
exclusively access to, to spiritual life only through Christ. In other words, there's nowhere else that I can go to be spiritually well, to be spiritually alive, to be spiritually healthy. If I'm spiritually healthy this morning, it's because I'm receiving this sap, this this divine uh, life is flowing through me. And I cannot go anywhere else to receive that. It's exclusively available through Jesus Christ. And this morning, if I'm struggling, if, if there's something lacking in my life, then I can know where to go to find the source of what I need. This is very important. I, I know there's lots of things out there. There's lots of uh, ideas, and there's, there's things that have tried to replace that. When, when people are struggling in a spiritual way, they're having emotional struggles, and they go to these counselors that uh, believe that there's other sources available. And this morning I stand before you and say there is not. It is false. If, if whatever need in a spiritual way, and I believe that covers the rest of, of our emotional needs and etc., are found in Jesus Christ. And I, I find that in this text here. And I, I think it's important that we underline that, that uh, whatever might be lacking in my life, it has to do not with because there's not available in Christ, but because the connection isn't there like it should have. We have this pickup truck. We had uh, kind of a spare truck, and we didn't use it much. And then I said, well, I need to sell it. I'm not using it. And I went to start it, and uh, I had just put new batteries in not so long ago and didn't want to start. And what, what's going on here? And then we checked out where the terminals go, and there was some corrosion there. So the connection wasn't the the 12 volts or whatever was needed to, to crank that uh, starter to start the engine. It wasn't getting it what it needed, and so it was too weak to, to start. So I just used that as a little bit of an analogy that if, if there's something affecting that connection to that divine source, then we need to go and, and get that cleaned up so that the, the uh, source can come through like it's, it's meant to. The other thing I wanted to mention is the father. The, the father here is presented as a husbandman or the gardener or the farmer, whatever terminology you want to put there. He's the one that is overlooking the whole picture. This is his role in, in our lives. He's the caretaker. He's the one that's there and observing and, and providing the, what is needed and more specifically providing the the pruning or the purging that is needed for, for spiritual health. And this, again, is exclusive. Uh, this is the role of the Father in our lives. He, he is observing our lives, and he sees what is needed, and he, he provides the necessary uh, treatment for, for our spiritual health. And... Uh, I think apple trees especially. I'm, I'm not really into fruit so much. We plant some trees, and I've not given them the care they should have always. But I stand amazed at apple trees that are producing, apple trees that are in their, in their prime. And you look at them in the spring, and you say, wow, what did he do? I mean, they just butcher those trees till there's 
not so much left anymore. But the, the people that are experts at it understand which of those branches are the ones that are really going to bear the fruit, and so all the rest has to go. And I think we have that aspect in, in the care that the Father gives. So that, that can seem kind of harsh. You go in there and just, I mean, you think that the more branches you would have, the more you're going to have fruit. But uh, some of those branches aren't going to be providing fruit, and others maybe will take away from the ones that really truly can. And so there's certain branches that are positioned in a certain way as the ones that are really there for bearing fruit, and, and the rest have to go. And the same is true uh, working in a vineyard with grapes. Uh, uh, do you have at the end of the year there's all these branches there's lots of them and think well the more the better but no the ones that understand the work well they go in there and there's just a basic uh, one basic branch left basically that the rest will flow out and that's so that they can really truly uh, give the grapes that they're capable of giving so that just a little bit of analogy in our minds of the work of the father and I, I believe a lot of that pruning is is harsh. It's things that come into our lives that are difficult, things that maybe are hindering us from being what what we could be, and God come in there and it, maybe through uh, some hardship, uh, some sickness, uh, whatever it might be, uh, he comes in there and he allows these things in our lives. But it's a response. Sometimes people have had hard things and become bitter, and then they turn their back on God and they they walk away from God. And that that is the wrong response. That's not what God wanted. So we we can choose how we're going to respond. And I think a lot of the choices we make have to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that to get it down to practical matter this morning, and we'll probably get into that in a little bit. Being connected. Abiding, what does it look like? And I don't know what else it could be, but a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, a knowing of Jesus, a, a life that has committed itself completely to following our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have done that, and it's not a once and done thing, it's something we have to do, and we have to do, at least my experience is. We have this initial and some people never have done that. They have initially never chosen to, to give up whatever else is in their life and make Jesus a central focus of, of their existence and of their, of their being. And I don't believe that we can abide. We cannot have this connection. We cannot have this relationship unless we have... Uh, committed ourselves completely to the lordship of Christ. Lordship meaning that he's in charge, not, not me. And that's a difficult, I think that's where many people uh, come up short, that somehow we want to reserve a certain right to to want to control our own lives, and it doesn't work. If we want to be faithful in following our Lord Jesus Christ, then, then he has to be lord, and he said these verses, uh, these words that are very revealing, said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not things that I say? The Lord is always the one that has the right to 
ask of us whatever. I think of verse 9 as very key in this thing of, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue ye in my love. Uh, Jesus, in this sense, is in, a, in the same ballpark. He's in the same, on the same playing field. In other words, he had to abide by the same rules we do when he walked here on this earth as a man. And we have to abide by the same rules that he did. And going on to chapter 17, where Jesus is praying this beautiful prayer, in verse 23, the latter part of it says, Maybe I'll just read the whole verse, John seventeen twenty three, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. In other words, Jesus is, is revealing to us that the same love that the Father had for Jesus when he walked here on this earth, he has made available to us. And that, again, has to do with the oneness we have. As we are one with Christ, then that same that love, and that love is so important. We, we need to understand the love of God, what God has done for us. And I think people that become bitter and, and turn their backs on God, somehow they don't have this love thing as they should. To understand as we, as we are in this abiding, that the, the love that we need in order to, to live and to thrive is available to us. And it's never going to be lacking. Even though it might seem like circumstances are, nobody understands. And uh, uh, Christ, when he was there facing the cross, or he's hanging on the cross, he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And I, I don't think the Father forsook him there, but it, it felt that way because everything seemed to be against. And we don't understand what all was going on, but I, I believe the love of God was present. And I believe in our lives, the love of God is always there for us. But the better we understand that, the better we can relate. So the closer we walk to God, the better we have this connection, this abiding, the better we understand the love that God has for us. And it's very clear here that we need to continue, we need to remain, we need to abide in that love. And I, I think it's in in, a, in the letter of Jude that came to my mind. Uh, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And I know for myself it, it can be easy for, for me to not do that. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. That, that's that abiding. We, there, there's this inseparable relationship that we have with God. And it's very simple. It was yesterday I was, uh, I was doing some watering in the garden, and there was, uh, we have some grapevines along the edge, and there's this one branch that was coming out the side, and I thought, if that thing keeps growing the way it is, uh, it's not going to do well because it didn't have support. We had wires going this way. So I was bringing the branch around so it would go on the wire. And as I was doing that, that branch broke off. And any child will know that when that branch or the, that branch got 
broken off of, of the vine there, there's no hope for that thing. There's no life. If I would go out and look at that little branch today, it would be already be withered and life would be gone. And so that analogy, and I believe this morning is, it is an analogy, but it's more than that. This, this analogy needs to be a reality for us. This, this is a way of life. It's much more than an analogy. This, this, Jesus gave us his beautiful teaching just the night before he was crucified, and it is vital for our existence as Christians. It's this complete dependence upon God, this complete dependence upon God's love. And we, I mentioned that in, in John 14, where he talked about the works that I do, it's not my works, it's the Father that's dwelling in me and his works working through me. And that, that was the life of Christ all the way through. And then he went on to say, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto the Father. And there I could add, because he goes to the Father, he's sending the Holy Spirit. And the works that the disciples did from there, the apostles, was much greater in Jesus that they saw thousands of souls being converted. And we'll be getting to that towards the end of our message here of uh, where we're going with the, the fruit. Uh, we want to be thinking on fruit now. It, the main focus, first part, is abiding. And we understand if we're not connected, the same as any branch in a tree or in a, in a grapevine is not connected, then there will not be fruit. And I, I believe the extent of our understanding, the extent of applying this principle, plays a big part in how much fruit we're able to bear. And we want to be headed that direction. So we see in Jesus' teaching here that fruit bearing is mandatory. In other words, I cannot be here this morning and claim to be a Christian and not bear fruit. Or you say, are there... Are there any Christians that do not bear fruit? Well, I could say there is an immature stage. When we were living in Guatemala, I planted macadamia trees. And I knew that investment wasn't something that's going to happen. It took 10 years before they even start bearing fruit. So we're, we're putting a lot of investment in this, knowing that it's going to be a number of years down the road. Uh, and so there is an immature state I believe that we can be Christians, we can be followers of Christ, and, and not expect a whole lot of fruit at first. Uh, but fruit is to be expected. I want to highlight that, uh, verse, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. They're talking about the Father. Uh, and then especially in verse, uh, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Am I reading this right and saying that if we're not bearing much fruit, then we shouldn't even consider ourselves disciples? That, that may seem radical, but that's kind of how I read this. Am I reading it right? Uh, 
We know for sure that the Father, God in heaven, is glorified in that we bear much fruit. The more fruit, the more glory for the, for the Father. And uh, Jesus said, we are his disciples if we bear much fruit. So the question I have for myself and for everyone here this morning, are we bearing much fruit? Uh, and how, how can I bear more fruit? It's completely dependent upon uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ, and that it's also dependent upon obedience. This morning it was mentioned that there cannot be obedience without faith, and I think that faith and obedience very much depend on each other. We cannot have obedience unless we have faith, and, and, but uh, if we don't have faith, then we won't have obedience either. I cannot say I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and directly disobey what, what he said. I remember one time this was a, a certain cult that came around and, and they wanted to promote their cult. And I said, do you believe in, in Lord Jesus? And, and yes, they believe in the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that all the words that he spoke are true? I said, yes, I believe all the words that he spoke are true. Then I took him to a place where Jesus referred to, to eternal hellfire. I said, do you believe those words are true? And this person did not believe in eternal hellfire and they became upset and they left without speaking any further and never showed up again. But we cannot believe in the Lord Jesus and not believe that all his words that he spoke are true. Uh, and of course that goes with eternal hellfire and everything else. It goes about divorce and remarriage where many people stumble. If we believe in Jesus, we cannot directly go against what he's, he says. If I believe in Jesus and I divorce my wife and I go marry another wife, I, Jesus said that is adultery. It's a, a, an adultery is a sin that, if it's not repented from, will keep us out of heaven. I, I believe that what Jesus taught is accurate. So if I, if I believe it, then I'll obey, and, and we cannot be divorced and remarried. That's just one example. It's one that's very prevalent in the day and age we live in. There's many more. But I also believe that if I believe in Jesus, that rivers of living water need to be flowing forth from me. And now there it can get a little more sticky. That, well, that's not, uh, it's also reality. Is it possible that I could say I believe in Jesus and yet that reality is not present in my life? So that's a challenge for us here this morning. <clears throat> Jesus said that his sheep know him and they keep uh, his commandments. In John 10, he says, uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So believing is hearing Jesus and keeping. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love in other words, I think if we don't keep his commandments, we're not abiding. If I have sin in my life this morning, if I have something I know is not pleasing the Lord, and I keep living that way, 
most assuredly that connection is, is going to suffer and it's going to, it's going to terminate. Uh, this is serious business. So obedience is, is a very much part of abiding, and that Jesus made that clear in this passage. Some of the practical aspects of abiding is, is just complete surrender and complete, immediate, absolute surrender and obedience to God is very much part of abiding. And uh, we can become careless. And, and maybe it's something he's asking me, he's not asking of you. And if I resist that, I'm at a dangerous place. So that relationship is, is in jeopardy. And I'm not going to say that you're just cut off and withered right away, but there is a place when that happens. That we, we need to fear God and, and uh, be sure that abiding and, and obedience and keeping Christ's commandments are, are very essential in this whole thing. And of course, the closer we walk, the more his life will be prevalent in our lives, flowing through us. It, it's very clear here that he says, without me you can do nothing. If we don't abide in him, uh, we could say that We are uh, doing nothing, but could it be worse than that? Could we actually be hindering? Could we actually be damaging the testimony of God? And I believe it, it's much more than just not doing nothing. It is, If we're not for him, then we're against him. If we're against him, then we're destroying and we're not building. So we're either on one side or the other. There's, there's really not a middle ground. So if I'm not abiding, then I'm hindering and I'm actually standing in the way of what God would have, have me to be doing. And the other aspect of abiding is, is with prayer. In verse 7, Jesus is very clear as he teaches, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. Amazing words here. Ask anything that you want, and I will give it to you. That's what he's saying. In the context of abiding. Now, I can't be asking for selfish things. That's just for me. Because if I'm doing that, I'm not abiding. The key is that as we abide in Christ we can be assured that whatever we ask, we're going to get. And I know that's often beyond our experience, but this, this is what Christ, especially here in, in John 14, 15, and 16, and I can't take time here this morning for that, but time and time again, and in, in verse 16 of John 15, he says it again. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and your fruit shall remain. That whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Anything you ask in the Father's name, you will receive. And I believe this is very much a key to, to, to bearing fruit. The more effective we are in our praying, I'm not talking about just 
making prayers to God. I'm talking about effectual prayer that that gets what it's after. And that Jesus very much taught effectual prayer as a part of the abiding. So I, I believe we will bear fruit if if we if we're praying. We're praying in a in a real uh, relationship with Christ. Not some kind of ritual we go through, but because we have this this relationship. So if we our lives are nothing more than a channel, this 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 divine life is flowing through us. And we should expect fruit. In the natural world, fruit is necessary. I don't know how many farmers we have here this morning, or, or if you're gardening. Uh, reproduction is fruit. Fruit is reproduction. And in the dairy business, I was in dairy business for a little bit. If there wasn't reproduction, then we were soon doomed. It's just the way it works. If you're in the poultry business, it's the same way. You think of, of those chickens have to be producing eggs, and those eggs have to be fertile, and those eggs have to hatch. And if they don't, then that business is done. And in, in the fruit farmer, it's the same way. If, if those trees aren't laden with fruit, you're soon out of business. In the garden, same way. I enjoy gardening. I went out and looked at these potato rows, and they look nice, but it wasn't but through a lot of toil that they got to where they're at. But there's fruit there, and it's, it's not just the plants, but I, I know that if I do this thing right, later I go through there with the plow, and, and there's this, this solid row of potatoes there. It's, it just calls me to worship. You go into this orchard, and you see these branches just, it's beautiful. You go into this great vineyard and see these clusters just full. It's, it's beautiful. And it's, it's not anything we can do. You can, you can create a machine, a machine can do a lot, but there's no life there. And, and in order for anything to give fruit, there has to be life. And the more healthy that life is, the better it's going to bear fruit. And I think in a spiritual sense for us, it's the same way. Self-sufficiency is out of the picture. It's God working through us. And I believe as we are called to be messengers, an unadulterated gospel uh, in its purity, you can expect fruit. And we'll get to more of that in a little bit. So fruit bearing is mandatory. Bearing fruit is God's divine design for all of his creation. Anything that has life out there is because there's reproduction taking place. And uh, it's beautiful. Not always. We have potato bugs, and we've struggled this year. And, and trying to f- it's a certain spray you can supposedly put on there that affects the reproductive system, even if it doesn't necessarily knock them off right away. But if they don't reproduce, we know we've, we've got the problem solved. And so there's, there's life that's, that is destructive, too, that we don't want the reproductive cycle to be going on. But uh, God, as he designed things, he designed it for bearing fruit. And we know right from creation, he, uh, 
said that they should be fruitful, multiply. And again, after the flood, when Noah came out of the ark, he said, be fruitful, multiply. Bearing fruit is beautiful, and it's, it's God's design and God's plan. And bearing fruit can have different aspects, and one aspect is just simply that the life of Christ is, is seen in us. There's this verse that we have in the Bible. It's a beautiful verse. And it's 19, 19 words that are all one-syllable words. And if you're aware of, of that verse in the Bible, I'm going to tell it to you. It's First John five twelve. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So it's 19 words. It's very profound. If you have the Son, you have life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. 19 one-syllable words in one sentence. So having the sun and the life that's there, it, uh, the, what flows forth from us is fruit. It, I like Colossians 1.10. It says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. So it's not... The fruit isn't our work, it's the work of God that we're allowing ourselves to be placed in, in his plan. And, and it's what comes forth is, is God, but it, he's using us. We know that if that branch isn't there, then there's not fruit. But we know it's the life that's coming to that branch that's making that fruit. <clears throat> I'm thinking of Jesus and he's on his way to Jerusalem I think it is and then he sees that tree out there it's a fig tree and the tree had life it was, had green leaves he went up there expecting to find fruit and there wasn't any fruit on it and he cursed that tree and I've, I've used that verse already to, to make a for a whole message where Jesus is looking at the church and then it a green tree, but there's no fruit on it. And the next day or whenever it was, he went by there again. That tree was just withered. It was just dried up. And, and uh, with Peter, I think, that made a comment, see how quickly. If, if a church isn't producing fruit, if a church isn't connected and isn't producing it's at a very dangerous place. And I, as I said, I believe there's very many aspects of what fruit looks like. We have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And if I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, that's what should be flowing forth, the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit cannot be counterfeited. You go and look at that tree out there. It's a maple tree. What if it was just hanging full of oranges? If something's wrong here, then you look a little closer, and it's somebody went out to the store and bought all these plastic oranges and taped them on there. And uh, you can't really bite into that and, and expect anything good out of it. It's, it's maybe plastic fruit's good to look at, but that's about where it stops. And we want to be sure we don't have plastic fruit in our lives. I believe that 
at the core of what the teaching we have here is thinking, especially in in verse uh, verse eight here, and is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. We think of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, and as a result, there's uh, what is it five thousand people that are converted. I believe bearing fruit as Christians is reproducing more Christians. And I believe that's essential. And I believe that it's lacking. It's lacking here. It's lacking in our churches. How can we have enough of life that we can be reproducing? And there's a, quality, a quantity and a quality, quantity in that there's, there's people coming to the Lord. There's, there's people that are getting saved. There's lives that are being transformed because, not because I'm something, but because the life of Christ is flowing through me. And the more we can have that, I think, the more we can expect that kind of fruit. And that's the core where I'm getting at. And also not just quantity, but quality. In other words, that people that are responding to the gospel as, as we go out and interact with people, they are being transformed into that they're producing godly lives. It, it, people, it's just wonderful, and I've seen some of it, and I'd love to see a lot more, where people are living their corrupt lives, they're living in their sin, and in all the filth and all the terrible heartache that goes with sin. And they come to the Lord, and they're, they're converted, and their lives are transformed. And that. The sinful habits go, and, and they're replaced with holy habits. That's the fruit that I especially want to underline this morning. And it's not something we do, but as we are connected with Christ, it's something we should expect. And there's one aspect I need to close here, one aspect that I want to... Just picture, so you have this, this vineyard, you have this grape, and you go in there and it, the fruit is ripe. Those grapes are purple and, and there's big clusters of them. It's just beautiful, juicy, sweet, lovely grapes. The husband comes along and he clips them off. And the next day you look and it's all empty. And that's aspect that we think of our lives, it's not for us, it's for God. Now, if we're in this for glory for ourselves, then forget it. But we think of that vineyard, and, and it's, it's, it, it's done its work, and now it is completely bare. There's a lot of fruit came off of it, but we're the branch, and what's left for us? Nothing. It's empty. Are you still okay with barren fruit? That's in a natural process, that's how it works. And I believe in a spiritual sense, there is that aspect of it also. That nothing, we're nothing but channels. Our life to flow through. We expect fruit. Fruit is beautiful. There's a lot of weight that we have to bear as we're, we're carrying this fruit. And in the end, it's taken away. There's nothing left for us. We'll call for a song.